0: The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We are talking about Brewer Trade Targets, who are potential options for the Milwaukee Brewers. We will also talk a little bit about their disappointing weekend series at Ampham Field. We will chat about Charles Lee being on the list for the Utah Jazz job, how that would affect the Bucs maybe more than Darvin Ham. And then lastly, we will give some NBA Finals chatter to you know what we've seen first two games i actually had another topic after that uh becoming an abs fan for a day we'll talk about that on chuck's corner uh, at the tail end of the show hope you guys are following along on social tapping the keg on twitter tapping Gage sports on instagram tiktok and facebook as well as that you're rating and reviewing if you're already subscribed also share with friends tell them what we're about we'd really appreciate that Um, And if you're not subscribed, uh, you're joining us because of some reason, maybe our hashtag, maybe, again, it was put in your feed, uh, you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. Also, quick programming note, I will be out Friday, um, so there will be no Friday pod. Um, We'll have podcasts the rest of the week, but yeah, I'm out Friday, I'm in South Carolina, uh, so there will be no podcast Friday, sorry to disappoint you. Um, but, yeah, we won't have a Friday pod unless I come up with something crafty. But I will, I will not even try to promise that because usually when I do, uh, I don't end up getting it done because I have all this other shit to worry about. So, no Friday pod. Um, should be the last one where we have a straight day off uh, because of travel or something like that until kind of like mid-August. So, we, it should be all right. Oh, no, actually, now maybe mid-july but anyways uh we will uh do the damn thing i'm excited to talk about the brewers and the potential trade targets the milwaukee brewers are th- the third best team in the national league right now they are a half game up on the st louis cardinals for the top spot in the nl central surprise the st louis cardinals are good when they weren't supposed to be i think that doesn't shock any of us that's basically been the cardinals mo from the last decade plus, right? The Cardinals are always good. They are a model of consistency. And yet again, they are this year. But so are the Brewers. This could be the fifth straight winning season for the Milwaukee Brewers. This could be their, I believe, fifth straight playoffs. I mean, they've done things unheard of in this franchise. This is the golden era of this franchise. So because it's been this amazing run for the Brewers, I think everybody looks at it like the Brewers need at least a World Series appearance out of it. Now, the challenge there, especially now, is that there are a lot of big market teams that will be going after guys to bolster their team. Los Angeles Dodgers and New York Mets are the teams that the Brewers are trailing right now. The Cardinals, while not necessarily in a big market, they are in a market where they love baseball. And St. Louis is one of the most notable public teams in all of the major leagues. The Brewers are a odd man out to say the least. So are the San Diego Padres. And if the Atlanta Braves get involved and they get in the playoffs, they are also a very public and notable team, same with the San Francisco Giants, who are hovering around the wild card spot as well. So the Padres and Brewers, and we talked about this with our guy, Matt Devine, I think two weeks ago now, where we were like, the Brewers and Padres are weirdly the same. And it's it's true for the NL, the NL race. So how could the Brewers make some slight moves to basically make themselves a better version of what they are right now. I know that there will be probably a lot of frustration with local phone callers today because the Brewers struggled against San Diego Padres this weekend. I'll talk about that series after this, but I think you have to take it with a grain of salt. That said, the Brewers can definitely add some more talent to that offense as well as maybe look at the pitching staff and so we've broken this down by different things. Jeff Passan's article about the trade targets was super helpful. Um, and that's kind of what we're using as our baseline of guys to talk about who I think could be reasonable fits for the Brewers. And the trade packages, I don't think would be outrageous to get them. I am not even considering basically the big three, is what Passan calls it, with Frankie Montas. Luis Castillo, Wilson Contreras. First of all, I don't think the Cubs would trade the Brewers Contreras. I also don't think the Brewers want Contreras. Brewers have had, obviously, some issues with Contreras in the past. Uh, Luis Castillo, I don't think the Brewers need. Um, Brewers already have an embarrassment of riches at the starting pitching position. Same goes with Montas. Um, So I don't see any need for that. What scares me is that the St. Louis Cardinals do have guys that should be coming back like Jack Flaherty and Steven Matz which almost makes this run for the Cardinals even more like shit. This could get really good for the Cardinals and that's not good for the Brewers because they don't have Flaherty and they don't have Matz right now. So if and if they add like Montas or they add Castillo, that could be a real problem. So those guys I've thrown all out. I'm like, "No, they won't go after that. Also, the package would be quite big and the Brewers farm system is getting better, but it's not necessarily one of the best in baseball. So if we take the trade targets and we look at who could be an option from the Brewers offensively, and look at power bats, it would be Josh Bell, Trey Mancini, or Jesus Aguilar. Now Josh Bell has had a really good year with the Washington Nationals. Josh Bell is a switch hitting guy. I think he's switch hitting, let's double check that. But Josh Bell's having a good season. Um, it, all in all, like it's been a good year for Bell, and it's been a solid bounce back year playing for the Washington Nationals, where he got traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates. So Bell has obviously some familiarity of the division. He is a top pick, like he was a second round pick overall. He has a one year, $10 million deal. So very cheap for the Milwaukee Brewers. It would not take much to bring Josh Bell over. And it w- and with the short porch in right field, you could see some real success. Now people will be like, Charlie, what's the difference between him and Roddy Telez? Not a ton, ton, honestly, okay? Like, honestly, that is is a fair sort of contention, right? He is a switch hitter, by the way. Uh, But it would at least add another bat to sort of make something happen from either the left or right side of the plate. I guess the difference is is that Bell can hit from the right side. Now, most of his power, I think, comes from the left. But still, regardless, I think Josh Bell could have a big year and a big impact for a team. And I think the Brewers should be wise to target Bell as a potential DH option, or, you know, put him in the rotation with Telez and see if Bell is sort of a good option. Now the question is, would you want to trade inside the National League? I think it would be fine, right? I think, I don't know how much Bell will commandeer considering he only has a year left on his deal. He's 29 years old. Like, I don't know if Bell's gonna be a sort of a high value dude. Another option I mentioned was Trey Mancini. Now, Trey Mancini is a right-handed guy. He plays you know, corner infield at first, and he's played a little bit of outfield. So he does a little bit of both. He's 30 years old. Uh, he battled back from cancer. It was an incredible story. Um, so also another guy who has a one-year deal, $7 million, with a mutual option. Now, he's been kind of a heartbeat of the Baltimore Orioles, so I, I do wonder if the Orioles would be kind of not wanting to trade him. His, with RC Plus is 137, he has a War 1.2. Uh, the advanced metrics are really nice on Mancini. Uh, he only has five home runs this year, but I'm not necessarily even worried about that. Also considering the Orioles kind of reconfigured how their ballpark is, I think Mancini could be very valuable for the Brewers. Like I, I definitely think he's a guy that a nice clubhouse guy, B, I think that he adds a little bit of right-hand power, which they have a little bit with Adamas, but I think adding Mancini to that mix would be really nice. And I think all of a sudden then you have power bats coming from the second through sixth spot. I I know Wong had two home runs today, but I don't know if I would consider Colton Wong a power hitter. Now there's the thought of maybe bringing back Jesus Aguilar. I think that would be a pinheaded uh, thought. Now, I'm not saying I'm a pithead, but I think there'll be a lot of fans that will look at Jesus Aguilar and say, all right, why don't we just bring back Zeus? I get that. Um, I don't hate that idea. Um, I'm not always a fan of retreads. Um, there's a reason why the Brewers felt like Jesus had to go. I don't know if there's any animosity um, with the t- two sides. didn't seem like it when Aguilar was here, well, with Miami. I don't think they've been here, actually. But when uh, the Brewers played the Marlins um, in Miami earlier this month. So I, I don't think there's any ill will. And so, yeah, maybe Aguilar's a guy you could put on the table. I think the only problem with Aguilar more so than Bell and Mancini, now Bell hasn't played a lot of outfield this year. He's played in the past. And Mancini ha- does play outfield. Is Aguilar is basically a first baseman and a DH. That's it. That's all you get out of Jesus Aguilar. You do not get anything else. So if that versatility is an issue, then maybe that doesn't work, but you are you do know that that's a guy who's comfortable hitting at an American Family Field and maybe it's a little bit easier to get him versus, you know, somebody else. And the Marlins do have a really good relief, you know, they have some good options, you know, in the relief, so maybe it's a package deal and it's Aguilar and a reliever. Um, And that's sort of where they go, because I look at that and I say, all right, this might not necessarily be the best option, but it could be the cheapest option. And sometimes the Brewers do go that route. And I think Jesus Aguilar would definitely be on the table. Now, if the Brewers are looking for a little more versatility, (laughs) a.k.a. how do we avoid Pablo Reyes starting another game? I'm so out on Pablo Reyes. I know he tries, I know he works hard, but Pablo Reyes is not a big leaguer, all right? Maybe he's a big leaguer for a team that is struggling, but not for the Milwaukee Brewers. Cesar Hernandez is the first guy I thought of. Now, Cesar Hernandez is really similar to what Colton Wong is, but Cesar Hernandez could be an awesome bench player that you could rotate around the infield and really help out sort of, you know, give guys breathers, right? And sort of be that utility guy a, he's a switch hitter. He's 32, but he's been playing really well. Again, on a small contract, one year, $4 million. It would not take him much. He's batting 270. He hasn't hit a home run yet this year, but he's really more about making contact. Doesn't strike out a ton. Um, so I definitely think that Cesar Hernandez is a guy that you can just move around. He's played all the whole year at second base, but he's played all over the field in the past. So I look at that and say, all right, that's a guy who versa, makes a lot of sense from a versatility perspective and could really help out the Brewers. Jose Iglesias is another one that I kind of like. Um, defensively, he's awesome at shortstop. Now, again, another guy who I feel like can play kind of all over, Like, and he's a longtime veteran. He's had some playoff experience in the past, um, but yes, mostly a shortstop. Again, another guy who hasn't hit a home run, but he's been 314 this year. I'm sure he's aided a little bit by Coors Field, but a guy who I think you could move around in the infield and also kind of make sure that Adamus doesn't get borne out. If you need, you know, Adamus to play to DH, you know, some days, right? You can then spell him with Iglesias. And right now they don't necessarily have anybody to spell Adamus in the field. You have, maybe you bump Urias and Jace Peterson, who I, who I know Jace Peterson has played really well recently, but I don't necessarily think that you could get a little bit better. And so to do it with Iglesias, do it with Hernandez, I think those guys could really help the Brewers from their depth perspective. Because in the middle infield, they don't have a ton of depth. They have a little bit at second base. They have none of it at shortstop or third base. And I think this would sort of help that cause with either player. Another guy that I really like, um, that I don't know if he's gonna be on the table, but Joey Wendell, to me, is another one that i look at and i think okay he could really be a guy that i i think i think could help out again short deal he has a option for another year he's battled by a hamstring he's played all over this year he's played 19 games at third base he's played two eight at shortstop two at second i uh, guess two home runs Bang 285 like i like Joey wendell a lot like to me that's a guy left-handed bat too so you're like well maybe they have too many lefties but I feel like Wendell can definitely be a versatile option for the Brewers that they've sort of lacked and a better version of Hernan Perez, right? You could play Wendell all over the diamond. I think he's also played a little bit of outfield too. Like, again, spelling Urea, spelling Adamus, Wong. Like, those guys can still be in the order. You just DH them. And if that's the option the Brewers go versus power, I don't hate that idea. I really don't because I think what's really important is just making sure that everybody's well-rested, ready to go for the postseason, and that you try to avoid injuries as much as possible. And I realize that's very rudimentary, but after going through the gauntlet that the Brewers just did and seeing all the injuries pop up, it's really tough. It's really difficult for the Milwaukee Brewers, and I definitely think it it waned on some of those guys. I think this was a really tough stretch, and I expect the Brewers to be a little bit better and have a little more of a pep in their step, with more routine days off to sort of reset, recalibrate, and not necessarily play baseball every fucking day. Now, if you're looking in the pitching department, you know to me there's not a lot of great options besides Montas and Castillo. If you were to get a starting pitcher, I think it would be insurance for Freddy Peralta. If you're worried that Freddy Peralta wouldn't come back, and you need sort of that long man reliever who could eat eat up some innings potentially start two guys that I kind of looked at or liked Wade Miley I understand he's on the Cubs but maybe the Cubs would do a deal with us Wade has familiarity pitching in this ballpark ever since he was with the Brewers he's been great you could argue well the Brewers have a ton of pitching but you could argue that Brewers should never got rid of Wade Miley he's been so good since he left he had I think he had one bad year in Cincinnati but after that he fixed it it was good And then Michael Pineda was the other option from the Tigers. Um, Pineda's been pitching all right. Another guy who can eat innings for the Brewers. And I think you'd basically, if you felt like Peralta might not be able to come back, you trade for a starting pitcher. Almost kind of like what the Bucks did with Serge Ibaka. We were like, all right, we need to make sure that just in case he's not able to come back, we're trading for this guy. Now, hopefully by mid, late July, they're gonna know where Peralta sits. And they won't necessarily have that uncertainty. I think because Brooke hadn't been back for so long, the Bucs were like, all right, we just need to make sure that if we're going into the, to the playoffs that we have a backup big, and that's why they got a Ibaka. I think middle of relief has become a little bit more of an issue for the Brewers. Um, they've had some issues there, whether it was Trevor Gott, whether it was Trevor Kelly, who was really bad. Um, I, I don't know what the Brewers have from a middle relief perspective right now. I don't feel like they have a reliable sixth and seventh inning guy. I thought Gott was that dude, but he's kind of regressed and he gives up the home run to Carnworth yesterday. Um, so that's not good. Um, so guys that I kind of looked at, one is Anthony Bass. I think Anthony Bass is a guy who has been around in the league for a while. Um, I don't think it's a you know he's a known name, but he's again Marlins another Marlins player. But I, I do think that you could, again, package deals, right? Put Bass in a deal with Jesus Aguilar or Joey Wendell, right? A package of Bass and Wendell for a couple of prospects, maybe Castanhera to Marlins. I, I actually really like that deal. Like I look at that deal and I'm like, okay, that's kind of time to go. Willie Peralta is another name. Now you're like, Willie Peralta. I, I thought about Freddie Peralta. Willie Peralta has been awesome. As a middle reliever for the Detroit Tigers, I think I always liked Willie Peralta. I know he was part of the old regime, but if you felt like Willie Peralta was your best option, I don't hate that idea at all to bring Willie Peralta in from the Tigers. And maybe if you, again, Pineda, you feel like Pineda could help, gives Freddie Peralta insurance, all the Peraltas, then you're like, all right, Pineda plus Peralta. Now, Michael Fulmer is another name. I don't know if the Tigers are willing to give up Michael Fulmer. He's a former like top-flight pitcher and has become a great closer for, for the Tigers. But another name where it's like, okay, maybe you pillage the Tigers and you say, all right, we're going to take Peralta, we're going to take Fulmer, we're going to take uh, Pineda, and we're going to kind of bolster our pitching staff. Again, I think people would push back that the Brewers need pitching help, but I do think they need help when it comes to their middle relief. Daniel Bard's another name that if the Rockies open up for business, I think Daniel Bard could be a nice back-end addition. Uh, throws heat. You know, the Brewers love guys who throw heat. I do worry a little bit about his control, but he could be another option for the crew. Now, there are a few guys who, if their team struggles, Passant listed these guys. Like, if, they, if their team falls off a cliff, they could be available. Uh, names I thought were notable for the Brewers. CJ Krohn, uh, just a huge power hitter. Uh, again kind of like Aguilar where you lose out on that versatility Adam Frazier is a guy I've always loved Um, to me like that's a better version of Joey Wendell Um, very familiar with the division Um, and he's been so good uh, at American Family Field like he has very good numbers there Um, I definitely would love the idea of Adam Frazier Ryan Yarbrough has not pitched well for the Tampa Bay Rays but he to me is the ideal sort of Freddie Peralta insurance type of guy where he's basically been a starter or an opener for the the Rays and been that second guy that pitches from the second inning to the sixth inning. Like, I, I think definitely Yarbrough could be a guy who you could fix potentially. He's been good in the past. He's just been struggling this year. And then the last name was Josh Harrison from the White Sox, right? Another versatile player, another guy you can play around the field. And so I think... If I were to rank what I think the Brewers need the most, I personally think it's versatility over power. I think you just add to your bench and you make your bench as deep as possible. Um, I understand that there's concerns with the Brewers and the lack lack of power recently, but they were fourth in home runs to end the month of or at some at some point I think this this month they were they were around the tops in home runs. So it's not like this team doesn't hit home runs like. I think there's this like misconception that the Brewers are this weak hitting team because they go through stretches where their offense can't do shit. We could talk about that here in a second. The Brewers for reference. So everybody's clear, right? They are second in home runs. They are second in home runs. Let me say that again for the all baseball. They are second in home runs. That's pretty damn good. But the problem lies is that they are very boomer bust because they are 25th in their average, so they, they just don't make any contact. They're 23rd. they're tw- Yeah, they're near the bottom in terms of just overall batting average. And also, they don't take, they're not taking, well, they take a decent amount of walks at 10th. But I think they strike out a bunch. I think their strikeout numbers are way up as well. Yeah, they're third in strikeouts. It's not going to get it done, right? That's, to me, not winning baseball. You look at all the teams that are amongst the tops in strikeouts, they're not playoff teams right now. The Atlanta Braves, the Diamondbacks, the Baltimore Orioles, the Angels, the Athletics, the Phillies, the Cubs. Those are all the teams the Brewers are with when it comes to strikeouts. That's bad, that is bad, bad news bears and definitely something the Brewers have to get better at. They have to just start producing more things that are not just home runs. It's homer or die for the Brewers, and that's not good. They're 17th in hits overall. But you look at the top teams in terms of just hits, right? Mets, Red Sox, who are now in the playoffs. Nationals actually, Nationals have a good offense. They just can't pitch. Uh, Same with the Rockies, right? So I don't know. It's, it's It's a team that needs a little bit of spark offensively, but I think they need more contact hitters than power hitters. So that's where I would lean Wendell Hernandez- or Iglesias, but love to hear it from you guys. See what you think. Hit me up on social, Tabby the Keg on Twitter, Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram. As for this brewer series, it was a clusterfuck. It wasn't a good series for the Brewers. The Brewers are very lucky that they didn't get swept. They had an amazing comeback on Thursday, but it kind of felt like they basically exerted all their energy after that comeback. Joe Musgrove was dynamite on Friday. Mackenzie Gore, Rookie of the Year at this point, followed up with another dynamic performance. And then the Brewers were pretty much struggling on the mat after a leadoff homer from Colt Wong. Wong gets another home run to tie up the game at 3-3, but then the Brewers' middle relief falls apart in the 10th inning. They also had an opportunity in the 9th, and they could not make it work. So that's baseball, right? And the Brewers finished this sort of gauntlet of 18 games, I believe 500. I think, oh no, they can, yeah, I think they went, no, 10-9. and I think they went, no, I did back. They're 9-9. and They were 9-9 and because I saw McAlvey's tweet about it. And a lot of the losses came at the end of it. Now, you could argue that this was kind of unfair of baseball. That the Brewers sort of did not deserve this. I think every team goes through these kind of gauntlets where they play hard team after hard team, or they have just no days off and they, they just have to every day get back. I mean, the Angels are kind of going through it right now, right? Um, and definitely a team that's not playing well and not responding well. They've lost 10 straight games um, and have completely fallen apart. Um, so I wouldn't say the Brewers are at the Angels level, but they haven't played well really since that Memorial Day sweep. So since that Memorial Day sweep, they have lost five of their last six games, and if it's not for a Willie or a, a it down, is not for a comeback on Thursday. The Brewers are on a six-game losing streak right now, and that would be pretty panic-inducing, right? There are stretches like this in baseball. It's one hundred sixty-two games. We say it all the time, but yeah, you've let the Cardinals creep back it, and so what do you have to do to make sure that the Cardinals keep their distance? You got to start winning some games again. Now, the Phillies come to town on Tuesday. They're kind of been revived since Joe already got fired, right? They swept the Angels. They won, you know, all they had a great comeback on Sunday to sort of walk off the Angels in the 10th inning. Uh, they were down, I think, 6-0 in that game. Uh, so they came all the way back to beat the Angels on Sunday afternoon. And now they're, you know, they're kind of cooking a little bit. They have a ton of power. Uh, the Brewers will have to be advised there. Uh, Jason Alexander is going to get another start. A uh, Hauser, who's been on and off, hot and cold this year. And then Corbin Burns, and we'll see if Burns can bounce back on Thursday afternoon. So those are all sort of things to keep an eye on, things to pay attention to with the Brewers when it comes to this week. And, yeah, it's not going to be easy, right? It's not. This isn't. This isn't an easy streak. You get the Nationals this weekend who, again, you could maybe get your bats going. Definitely a good week for the bats to get going, right? Play two teams who have not pitched well all year. So you can get, and then you have the Mets next week. And the Mets series is massive. We'll talk about that next week. But like, that is a huge series for the Brewers. That is arguably the biggest series of the year so far because Mets are our best team in the NL. That's a total measuring stick series, that's a to- that also series could matter when it comes to tiebreakers. Remember, there's no game 163 this year. Like they definitely need to make sure that they have as many tiebreakers as possible if it comes down to who, get- who decides if you're a two seed or a three seed. And that two seed is really valuable because you get a bot. You don't have to play a three game series against a wildcard team. And now if the Padres do in fact win the division, And they have the same record as the Brewers. The Padres get that second seed. The Brewers will be down to three. And it probably means you're playing a combination of any of these teams. The Cardinals, the Giants, or the Braves. That's not fun. That's not a fun way to start the playoffs. The NL is significantly better than the American League. Which I don't know if I would have said that. uh, But it, it feels like in the American League, it's the Yankees and everybody else. And... That's that's kind of crazy, right? Like and right now it looks like I think four teams from the AL East are in the playoffs right now. Like I, yeah, that's right. No. Yeah, uh, is that correct? I think so, right? Yeah, if you look at the American League playoffs, right now you have the Yankees, the Rays, the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. It's fucking unreal. Shows you just where the AL is compared to the National League. Because the National League is significantly better. You have surprises like the Diamondbacks who are kind of hovering around. Even the Pirates are not terrible, right? Like they are a couple games under 500. They, you can kind of see the makings of a team who maybe next year could be something if they don't like trade away guys like Brian Reynolds. Like I would not trade away Brian Reynolds. Like I would look at it and say, all right, we kind of have something in here. And maybe just if we hold our water for one more year, we can actually you know be a playoff team again. But I know the Pirates' ownership is about as worse as it gets from a you know overall team perspective in any sport. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But yeah, I uh, I definitely think the Brewers need to kind of get a bounce back, and hopefully the day off uh, as they they face off Philly. They're home for a day, can do all their errands. Get to just rest and relax. Maybe the Brewers come back fresh for Tuesday against Philadelphia. All right, moving on to other topics. We did a lot of baseball there. Uh, Charles Lee has been named as one of the coaching candidates for the potential Jazz job. Uh, Quinn Snyder resigned uh, yesterday. So Quinn Snyder is no longer coaching the Jazz. It kind of seemed like this was been bubbling for a bunch of months. As Mark Stein reported back, I believe in March, uh, and then ESPN jumped on it and gave him no credit because that's what ESPN does, especially in their NBA department. They don't necessarily do it in baseball like that. Football, too, they're kind of snaky. Uh, so I feel bad for Mark Stein, uh, who definitely deserves the credit here. Uh, and Charles Lee's been named as part of that that team. And I do wonder if the Bucks lose both Ham and Lee in an offseason, that's a lot to kind of come back from. That's almost... It almost makes me wonder, and I saw uh, my guy Shafty float this, and I don't know how much I agree with it, but wondering if you move Bud to a front office position and you let somebody else take over. And you basically say, all right, it's a philosophy similar to Bud's, but it's just a new voice in there. Now, obviously, that would have to get signed off by Giannis. I think then that would be like a Charles Lee, right, would just take over. You wouldn't necessarily start brand new. You wouldn't look at this and say, All right, we're gonna take like Will Hardy from the Boston Celtics. Now, Will Hardy, the rumor is on him, who he's mentioned as well from the jazz job, is that he basically has a unspoken promise that he'll get the Spurs job. He's part of the Spurs organization. But who knows? If you're asking him, hey, you can take over the Spurs, who have some young potential with Deontay Murray and stuff like that or you could be the new Bucks head coach. I think you'd rather take the Bucks, right? But I don't know if that's the route they'll go. I don't know if that's it. I only think that route becomes available if Lee takes the Jazz job. Because I just worry, are there enough assistance to basically you know, help Mike Budenholzer? Does Mike Budenholzer have enough of a tree to bring back guys and say, all right, and him and Lee are probably gonna take guys from Bucks organization. So that's another thing, right? So do you need an injection of a new voice to sort of add to his sort of Rolodex? I realize people don't use Rolodex anymore. Let's say add to his iPhone contact list better to be that's that's more it's way clunkier, but you, you understand my point is like do they need to look that way versus sort of say all right we're gonna stick with Bud we're gonna stay the course but who's left who's left in that Bud coaching tree? It's not it's kind of barren. At that point, it'll be Jenkins, Ham, and Lee all go somewhere else. Now, I don't think Charles Lee will get that opportunity. I think they would go in another direction. I could see Terry Stotts being on the table. I, I also could see Hardy maybe jumping at that with Danny Ainge and the, the Boston connection there. And I realize Hardy, I don't know if Hardy was there besides this year. So maybe not, I don't know. But Ainge could certainly say like what you're doing in Boston you could basically do here. I think Ainge could sell him on just understanding. Like I, I, still think that, and he could also sell Hardy and say a lot of the guys that you're playing, that you coached were guys I drafted. And so basically, not a lot's going to change here. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I do worry that if League take is taken from the Bucks, like the Bucks definitely have a deficiency when it comes to their coaching staff, and they're going to have to obviously work on that. Other thoughts, NBA Finals were 1-1. Uh, the Warriors were able to take care of business with an epic third quarter uh, against the Boston Celtics. say an epic a lot. Like, it's like 2017 all of a sudden. But, yeah, really good stuff for the Warriors. The Jordan Pool 3 to end the third quarter was absolutely incredible. Uh, I wasn't on Twitter that much last night. Uh, the keg for those who are curious uh, because I was planning a t- planning our Greenville trip. So I, but I had the game on and everything like that. And I cannot believe how much complaints there were about the referees in this game. I mean, it's funny because the free throw discrepancy was only a difference of three. The, the Warriors only shot three more free throws than the Celtics. And the Celtics had 18 fouls to the Warriors' 17. So it's not like there was that much. They made the adjustment and brought Poole off the bench, uh, who had 17. He had five made threes. Draymond was incredible in this game, uh, 9.7 assists, 5 rebounds, but it was much more than that because Draymond was getting in everybody's ass, and I think what the Bucks did a little bit of, but didn't do, you know, didn't kind of turn it to the Draymond level, same with PJ Tucker, he did a little bit, but he didn't like turn it entirely, like Draymond cranked it to fucking 10, and this Boston team, we saw it with our, against our guys, they get they get sort of sensitive. They get sort of whiny, bitchy, right? Like, you saw this with Tatum. You saw this with Jalen Brown. And Draymond took advantage of that. Graham Williams another guy. Like, they, he took advantage of that. And he sort of gave, you know, a sort of villain-esque heel turn to the series. So now all eyes are going to be on Draymond, right? And the Boston fans are going to give it to him on Wednesday night. But he's going to love that. That's gonna be his shit, right? And I don't really even think Curry was that good in this game. He had 29 points, but he he had 20, he made on 21 shots. Like, this was really about pool off the bench. I think Otto Porter gave some really good minutes, even though he was, you know, at 15 minutes, he was plus 24. Tatum again, another struggling series. Maybe we could stop with the Kobe Bryant stuff one time. Like, dude isn't Kobe Bryant. He is as corny as it gets, in my opinion. Um, and he was 28 points and 8 of 19 from the floor. And I made six threes. That's probably the highlight there. But he was a minus 36. That is, plus minus isn't anything. But that's really ugly. Especially considering Jalen Brown was minus 10. So I look at this and yeah, it's one bad quarter for, for the Celtics. But... They have to figure out a way, and third quarters has been their problem this year. And against the Warriors team that always seems to come out strong in the third quarter, you're definitely running up against friction there. I thought this would be a close game. I thought it would go down to the wire. And the Warriors basically sent Boston to sleep in that third quarter. And the pool three at the end was basically the dagger of all daggers. I mean, they were down... 23 at that point, and I had said, Bill Simmons should just go tape his podcast because there's no reason to stay for the fourth quarter, and I don't necessarily think Boston got any sort of momentum heading into that fourth quarter, but yeah, it's definitely, could easily be 2-0 Golden State if not for a barrage in the fourth quarter by the Celtics on Thursday night, so it's definitely something to think about as we head into Wednesday um, the crowds will be crazy. 8, nine p.m. starts in Boston. I'm sure you'll hear Mad Dog ranting about that on on his on when he's with Stephen A. on Wednesday. But yeah, it's it's gonna be fun. Um, I think that series is gonna only get more fun as we go on. Um, and now also too will be interesting to watch both Horford, Curry, Thompson. You know, with the one day off heading into Game Four, they don't get a ton of time off heading into game four as they did for game one and two and even game three so they'll you know it'll be a little bit of a tighter tighter turnaround that'll be the only tight turnaround of the whole series and then you get back to like two days off you know as they they sort of work on the scheduling part of it i don't i kind of crazy they're not doing some i feel like sunday finals games are great like the last game sevens on on father's day but then it's like, okay, we do a Monday game, and then we do a Thursday game, and then we go back to Sunday. So that to me is kind of wild. I'm like, why wouldn't you just do, you know, Friday, I guess travel maybe? Friday, Sunday, well, whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, we'll I'm sure Monday is also a nice one for ABC. And I think the ratings are gonna be really good for this series. All right, let's end with Chuck's Corner. Chuck's Corner, if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, it's basically the time where I just kind of talk about stuff that's going on in my life that might not be similar to Wisconsin sports. Sometimes the sports are adjacent. Sometimes it has nothing to do with sports. So this one does. Um, I was an Avalanche fan for a day. Um, I've watched a little more hockey. We talked about it on David the Keg this week. But my guy Pat was in town this weekend. And we were watching the games because he's in a diehard Avalanche fan. He's been an Avalanche fan Since the 90s, since Patrick Waugh, that's the reason why he was a Avalanche fan. So Patrick Waugh, favorite player, he became an Avalanche fan because of that. And he stayed well. And this is the Avalanche's probably best chance to win a Stanley Cup since the early 2000s. Uh, This team is very good and they're on the brink of getting back to the Stanley Cup final for the first time in a long time. I think they did get back there um, before last time they won the cup. But yes, this is an ample opportunity for the Avalanche. So I threw myself into being a fan, especially in the third period as we're sitting at Jack's watching the game because A, I want my friend to be happy. Uh, Mitch and I talk about that a little bit too. Is like I definitely didn't want the Avalanche to lose because I feel like the vibes would be a little bit lower. Now, would we still have ripped it up on uh, in Milwaukee that night? Yeah, but of course, because... We were able to sort of have the experience of the Avalanche winning. It made Saturday night a little more fun. And we had a great time, man. And to see the Avalanche be successful and I feel like being a hockey fan is definitely a little different, right? Like, it's similar to soccer in the sense of you watch shots on goal. Uh, The Avalanche, I think, had over 40 Um, and they should have at least had four or five goals. Like I know they finished with four, but one of those was an empty netter. Like they should have definitely won this game easily. There shouldn't have needed to be an empty net opportunity, but Mike Smith, while he gets shit on a lot and I know people don't like him. And again, I'm not an expert at all. Uh, Mike Smith definitely was, you know, part of the reason they, they kept them in the game and Mike Smith did have some really good moments, but he also had some really bad moments. Feel like it's sort of a whirling dervish, if you will. And that's why Mike Smith has always been sort of an average goalie, from what I understand. Also, funny enough, the officiating was really bad <laughs> this game. So, like, officiating problems are not just in basketball, they're not just in football, they're not just in baseball. You can have bad at hockey Official, Like, the call on Evander Kane for boarding uh, with his dirty hit on Nazim Khajiri and really at the first flush of the game was you know the right call but after that it kind of went to shit it seemed like the ref was sort of hoping the Oilers could play themselves back into this game they gave the Oilers more ample opportunities and the Oilers couldn't capitalize and so the Avalanche were able to get a couple kind of cheap goals but they had a lot of opportunities where they should have scored so it kind of all balanced out and to watch that all was really fun. The empty net situation down, like is just exhilarating in the worst way possible. You just assume a goal is going in. Like, there's just so many bodies just everywhere. And you're just yelling, clear it, clear it. Like that's all you want to do. And if you get that goal, it's great. If you don't, it's like, oh man. That to me was hell on earth. Uh, again, watching as a day, a one day Avalanche fan. Now will I root for the Avalanche going forward? Yeah, probably, right? Like, why not? Like, let's get Pat, let's get Pat a Stanley Cup. I don't really like New York sports teams in general. Uh, the Lightning, I don't know, man. They've won two titles. They have, Tampa's had enough by proxy. All those people are Buccaneers fans too, and so then I don't, I don't really fuck with them. Canada, I, I like to laugh at, so and they're they're definitely on the brink here. I don't really see any way the Oilers come back. Uh, In this series, like, could they force a Game 5? Sure. But the Avalanche have been so good on the road this year that I think it's going to be hard. And you don't have a Vander Kane now, uh, who's suspended for for that hit on Kaduri. So, why wouldn't you cheer for the Avalanche? I know a lot of my friends, there are friends of mine who are Red Wings fans, who are like, fuck the Avalanche still from the the 2000s. Uh, That rivalry is still there. Uh, But yeah, I... I don't see why you wouldn't root for the avalanche. And I think they're going to get there, whether it's tonight or Wednesday, they're going to probably be in the Stanley Cup. All right, that does it. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, We'll maybe chat a little bit about the Packers. We didn't do anything with the Packers, so maybe we'll bring, bring a Packer topic to the table and talk about anything else that comes through the wire on Monday. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.